turn, if you will, to John. And it's just a diving board into the subject. We're taking a hiatus in the book of John and just thematically looking at some of the works of the Holy Spirit that helps the believer. He said, I'll send you another helper. And we are simply taking a little parenthesis here in our studies to see what the Holy Spirit does in believers that helps them. Okay? Uh, and so I read John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, there's various translations, counselor, comforter, uh, paraclete. Uh, this, Arndt and Gingrich, Kittle, they all say this is the best one word that conveys this word, called alongside for the purpose of giving help. That's the original word. It's used in 1 John of Christ's advocacy in heaven as our lawyer. Here it's used of the work of the Spirit in us in our earthly journey. Called alongside to give us help. And he's of the same kind of help as Christ. And that's reflected in the word another of the same kind of help as I have been to you. Now, why would he think they needed help? They're all going to bail out this night. They're all going to deny they know Christ. They're all going to flee. You know, um, one of the trickiest things in the world is to hire the right staff. If you don't hire right, you are stuck with a mess in your hands. And I've had some of those. You would think Christ could pick a little bit better. Is this the best you can do, these 11 failures? But look, he picked you. I said he picked you. You haven't done any failing. They'll go lying again. What would you do if he hadn't picked you? Has he had to deal with any failings? Any fleeing? Going back? Falling down? This, that? Well, Christ says in that room, basically, you guys are going to need help if this thing's ever going to get off the ground. And I'm going to go to the cross and pay for the ministry of the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to be my cross gift to you besides atonement, besides all that the cross accomplished. I'm going to purchase the Spirit. Now, most conservatives are scared to death of the Spirit because they think you're something else. But Jesus bought me the help of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not afraid to talk about the third person of the Trinity. You don't have a complete God without the Holy Spirit. So get over your phobia. I, it's amazing to me. One person seemed like that would be enough, but he tells me in salvation, you get three of us. Can't develop that. I want to look at three things. I want to look at the filling ministry of the Spirit came to help us, and I want to look at three things. We've been commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Two, what are the characteristics of spirit filling? Thirdly, I want to look at four conditions. There's more probably, 
But I'm going to just give you four conditions to come under the Spirit's control in your life. Ephesians 5.18 says, Stop getting drunk with wine that makes you dissipate, makes you uh, lose all of your energy and strength. You waste your life when you're drunk. Rather, be getting yourself full of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek language, it's a command. Now, if God commands something, what does it mean if you don't obey it? Stop stealing. Well, I'll pray about it. You don't need to pray. You need to obey. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, I'm not sure. That scares me. No, no. He commanded it. I want you to be under the control of the Spirit, and it's a command. If you're not under the control of the Spirit, that means the flesh can uh, make you do carnal behavior. Uh, you don't have the power to meet the heavenly standard of new covenant living apart from the ministry of the Spirit. You just can't live this kind of life. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. And, and don't tell me the law. The whole nation blew it. The Spirit is fulfilling in me what the law commanded but could not enable. Romans 8, 3, and 4. I live the Christian life not by rules, but by a living person and reliance on him. So, we have to ask, are you obeying this command? Would your life be characterized as being intoxicated, influenced, controlled by the Holy Spirit? And we'll be looking at what the consequences of that looks like. Can we measure it? We can. Some characteristics of spirit filling that we ought to consider. One thing, every work of the Spirit is automatic, universal, and just happens. And you never ask for it. You never have to. Uh, he regenerates you. Uh, once for all, happens to all believers. He sealed you into the body of Christ. Once for all, done. You never ask. Get yourself sealed. You're sealed. Baptized by the Spirit. You are immersed into the body of Christ. I'm never told to seek the baptism. I grew up, you sought the baptism and hoped you would talk in tongues. But I'm never told to seek the baptism. I am automatically immersed into the body of Christ. I became a member of the body, said, done. Indwelling of the Spirit. Please give me the Spirit, Lord. Please give me the Spirit. Send your Spirit. Send your Spirit. Wait a minute. He doesn't have to sin, which already living in me. You hear? I, do all, I need the Spirit. I need the Spirit. You got the Spirit. What are you doing with Him? How much of the Spirit is in you? Whew, good. Because I grew up with people that filling of the Spirit, they had a spatial concept. You know, the glass is half full. But when you bring a person... And I say, they're in your house. Does that mean half their body? They got caught in the door, you know. We slammed it, so a leg is in the house. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a bushel of wheat. He's not water. He's a person. So you've got all the spirit you can ever get. Well, what does it mean to be full of him? 
It's for him to get all of you and for you to come under his his total control. Is he in complete control? And what's tricky about that, you can be controlled by the Spirit 10 minutes ago and boom, do something crazy 10 minutes later. Sin is a scary thing. He told Cain, it's as secretive and as scary as a lion getting ready to pounce on you. Sin desires you like a lion, Cain, and when you're not looking, boom, it's leaped on you, and before you know it, you've done something you never thought you were capable of doing. It is scary. Sin can happen. What you can do in 15 minutes may not be erased from your record for the rest of your life. So we're commanded, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. It's likened to wine. Uh, There's nothing wrong with drinking wine biblically. They all did it. There's something totally wrong with getting drunk on it. But the idea of the drunkenness is it influences your behavior. It, it takes over. Rather, rather be getting yourselves filled with the Spirit. Now, this is interesting. Spirit filling is never once for all. Acts 2.4, they're in the upper room, and they're all filled with the Spirit. You go to Acts 4, and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, got up, and he said certain things. Verse 31, and they had a prayer meeting, and the Spirit came down and filled all of them. Hey, they'd already been filled back in Acts 2. Filling is a repeated experience. It's not once for all. Two, not all believers are spirit-controlled, or he wouldn't tell us to get it. Why would he command it? He told the uh, Corinthians, right now you're acting carnal in chapter 3. You're acting fleshly in your behavior. You're in the party spirit. Uh, You are are haughty towards Paul. Chapter 5, one of your members is living with his uh, stepmother. Chapter 6, you're dragging each other into court. Chapter 7, some of you are sleeping around. Chapter 8 through 10, you're fighting and having confusion over meat issues. Chapter 11, you're ruining the Lord's Supper by getting drunk at the agape feast, and you're coming there drunk. The slaves are not getting a meal, and some of you are drunk, and I'm killing some of you off. Chapter 12 through 14, you're fighting about gifts. Who's going to get on the floor? Who's going to dominate the meeting? Tongues have taken over. Chapter 15, there's a party among you that is denying the resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, Christ did not rise. Chapter 16, one thing they agree on, you need to take an offering. Now concerning the collection. When you don't know what to do, take an offering. So you can have the Holy Spirit, you can have gifts, and still not be spirit-controlled. Have you ever heard of church fights? Have you ever heard of pastors that everybody thought they were anointed, and all they were was mad? They weren't anointing, they were just mad. They just angry. Board meetings, falling apart. Confusion, devouring one another. Gossip, rumors. This church or any other church can fall apart less than a month. Just unleash sin in everyone that's sitting here 
and we'll destroy this place. It is scary. So we ask each other and we greet them, are you under the control of the Spirit? Well, yes, I am. Uh, I don't think so. Four things I believe you got to do to be Spirit-filled. Four things. Number one, presentation. I call it presentation. Number two, purification. Number three, reliance. Number four, Christ-centeredness. Number one, if I asked you, are you spirit-controlled, and you said no, if you said, tell me how to, the first thing I would ask you is, uh, have you ever offered yourself to God? Look at Romans 6. Romans 6. He's telling them how to live the Christian life. He's been telling them about salvation. Now he moves to the fact you're in union with Christ. You've been taken out of Adam. You're in Christ. You've died. You've been buried. You've been risen with him. I appeal to you. What is your appeal? Verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is a mental thing. Consider yourself in Christ. I'm dead. I'm unavailable to sin. I am available to God only. Okay. Verse 12. Therefore, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Sin remains in the believer, but it is not to reign over me. I'm not under the reign of sin. That's been broken through the work of Christ. I still have a sin nature, but I'm not under the kingship. It's a word, basilea. I'm not bossed. I'm not under the dictates of the flesh. I've got something stronger in me than the flesh. It's not me, it's the Spirit. And by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. Romans 8, 13, the famous John Owen's thesis. Are you with me? Watch now. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Your body, have you ever taken it? This is what he begs in Romans 12, but this is where he begins. You take your members, you say, I used to cuss, cheat, lie, be immoral, get drunk. I've done so much in this body unrighteous against God. Now I'm saved. What should I do with my body? Have you ever heard of making a presentation to God? Say, you saved me. You can have my body. Take me. I'm no longer a slave to immorality, drugs, alcohol, hate, anger, all the stuff that I used to do in this body. 
Here's my body, Lord. We call it dedication. We call it consecration. You know what the word here for present means? It's a little word, parestomy. It means this. Now get it. To put yourself at God's disposal. That's the meaning. I ask you, I ask you adults, I ask you young people, have you ever done that? I was saved at 14. I lived it for about three or four months. Then I backslid when I first started the ninth grade. I like rock and roll and dances, and we couldn't do that stuff. So I went back. I got right with the Lord in the ninth grade. I went to a youth camp in 1959. You kids remember that year? Uh, the earth's crust was hardening. Uh, went there in 59, Pentecostal camp in Northern California. And there, I gave God my body. That's where I made the presentation. You can have all of me. A Thursday night missions conference with a Trella Hatton preaching, a woman preacher. She preached circles around anybody in this place when she was into it. Didn't have a lot of content, but oh, what an exhorter. <laughs> Powerful. Pray all day at those camps. I used to go and sit in, hear her pray in the next room. I couldn't believe anyone could pray that long. And that night, at an old altar with death sawdust all over, I said, Lord, I'm at your disposal. You get the rest of my... And, and, and on that night, I, I, these questions, what if he wants me to go to Africa? That was always the test. <laughs> what if he wants you to go to New Guinea? You know what you do when you're giving your body? Anywhere you want, you got me. Anywhere, anytime, any place, I'm not negotiating with you. I'm offering myself to you. It was used of offering an animal as a sacrifice. And Romans says, God is sick and tired of dead animals. He wants some living sacrifices. That's you. I ask you, in this church, how many people have ever said to God, you got all of me. I'm at your disposal. I don't think many have. Young people, let me tell you, you'll begin to discover the will of God and discover what he's designed you for once you tell him, you got me. I'm at your disposal. Because Romans 12 says, then you'll discover the will of God. What's good? What's perfect? What's acceptable? You'll discover your spiritual gift. For me, as a 15-year-old, my whole life started unfolding. Once I gave him my body, then I found out he wanted me to preach. Then I knew this. And from then on, I've had one vision, just to be at God's disposal wherever I am, wherever he wants. It doesn't matter the assignment. I am available. I settled it in 1959, and I renew the contract every day. Had a preacher friend, George Rutenbar, he said he woke up every morning, and what he would do, the first thing, and he was a big guy, he, he would do like this, Lord, I'm available today. 
My eyes are yours. My ears are yours. My mouth is yours. My feet are yours. You got me. I'm reporting for duty. Did you do that today? Have you ever done that? First step is presentation. The second step is purification. He says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them who are his. Let him who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity and cleanse yourself so that you can be a vessel fit for the master's use. And it's the theme in the believer. Once you give him your body, you start dealing with sin that you've done in your body. You start getting clean. God had accepted the offering. Now he starts working on our life, our mouth, our thought life, our attitudes. Purification. He starts, he says, from now on, when you sin, I want you to confess it immediately. Don't delay getting clean. The moment you do it, confess it. What if I don't? I like my sin. Well, good for you. God says, if you're my child, I've got a work of the ministry called the grieving of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to make you miserable. And when I meet miserable Christians, sometimes I say, hallelujah, there's a Holy Spirit. I hope you stay miserable every day you don't surrender. God gave up his best, and he can't give you, get you to give up your little old body. You think he bought you to do your own thing? You think he bought you to sit back, I'm not available, I, I'm going to dabble in porno, I'm going to mess around with this, I'm going to lust after women, I'm going to cuss, I'm going to have a double life, I'm going to do this. I, hey, I, I'm, you just get me, the cross took care of me. Oh, yes, it did, and it bought you the right for God to step in and chasten you. Because sons get chastening, they never get rejected. They get spanked because he wants to purify you. He told the Corinthians, you're ruining the Lord's table because you're going there drunk, but I'm going to make you sick, I'm going to make you weak, and I'm going to kill some of you. Then he goes on to say, if you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. But if you don't judge yourself, I will judge you. Chastening judgment. Have you gotten straight on sin? I don't care what problems we have in the church. I, I say that reservedly. I don't want any problems. But I always say to staff, we may make uh, tactical errors. Let's always be on the right side of sin. Nobody infallible around here. We make mistakes but I want to be on the right side of sin. I don't want to sin. I've sinned enough. How about you? I know some of you say, well, I, I don't want to give up the practice. It feels too good. Until it quits feeling good, I'd question whether you're saved 
And for sure, you're not under the control of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit can never work through you until He works on you. And until He gets you to take sin serious. I mean, you love your money, you love your time, you love uh, this, this, this. And God's not a priority. He will never fill you. Why would he fill you with the Spirit to do your own thing? He wants to fill you with the Spirit to honor Christ. Third thing, to be filled with the Spirit is a life of walking by faith and reliance. Look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. I'm just selecting this. I hope you're taking notes. That's why we got PowerPoint for you. I'm going to try to plan some of these sessions where we have Q&A at the end of it because I want you to understand. Look at verse 6, Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. The law of people. Whether you're circumcised, you can't be right with God unless you're circumcised. He said, in Christ, that stuff means nothing. What does mean anything but faith working through love? Faith, that is reliance on Christ and reliance on the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is a total life of dependence. Uh, okay, God tells you commandments. I know some people that love the commandments. Commandments, commandments, commandments. My problem isn't the commandments. My problem is doing them. How you doing? Let's start out with love. Who have you been accused of loving lately? What about joy? What about peace? See, uh, it's, uh, the heavenly standard of the Christian life is so high no one could ever live it unless empowered by the Spirit. The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life as outlined in the New Testament apart from the helper's help. And some of you want to write a new rule. A new rule. Well, you broke all the ones already in the Word. I don't need new ones. So you're under legalism. You're under all these hoops, hoops. The law doesn't sanctify anybody. All the commands of God won't give you the help. They just tell you what God is and what God expects, and we've got a whole people that lived under it for years and were nothing but big flops because they refused the route of faith, and they said, we can keep it. And God said, you couldn't keep it. You never could from the day. The day I gave you the law, and you said, bring it on. We'll keep it. Bring it on. The very day I gave you the law, you were committing fornication and worshiping a golden calf. Ain't nobody here can keep it. You, the Christian life, is the Holy Spirit and a man or woman that will rely on God for strength to obey, strength to do what everyone, but we can't live this life without depending on the helper. We don't have the strength, our sin. He said the Spirit is doing for us what law can never do. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
I cannot tell you how many frustrated Christians you meet. That's why uh, those who offer a second work of grace, or uh, if you would uh, pray longer, if you could maybe uh, speak in tongues, if you could get another something because of your defeats and your frustrations. He said, there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. And there is. It's dealing with sin. It is presenting yourself to God moment by moment. And it's relying on the Spirit's help. It's a life of desperate dependence. And I'd say, fourthly, uh, it's Christ-centered. The Spirit, when he comes, will not promote himself, but will promote Christ. So that you hear Paul say in Philippians 1, for me to live is to be filled with the Spirit. That's not what he said. For me to live is Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ on display. The goal is to take us who acted like Adam, and now that we're in Christ, to get us live out and make visible the Christ who went back to heaven, crucified, resurrected, now, he said, I'm going to send you the helper to live out this Christ, to make him visible in your everyday life. And how can you do it but by the Holy Spirit? I want to ask you uh, some questions. We'll get to the consequences next week. We don't have time. Uh, are you... Are you characterized as living under the control of the Spirit? Or are you bitter? Are you into some kind of uh, sexual sin, either with your mind or your body? Uh, how are you doing with your mouth? Do you edify or do you murmur? Do you have a bad mouth? How are you doing with your eyes? Are you lusting or is your mind under control? Uh, well, what about your body? Uh, is it engaged in service? Some of you have taken your body, you've taken it off the table. It's no longer available. You're going to get it. And some older people, you've got to watch this. Well, I've already put in my time. You won't put in your time until you go to glory. He didn't save you while I'm a teenager. Some of you are saying, well, I'm too young. No, no, no. I was just telling Timothy class, I've never known what it was to be saved and available and not doing something in the household of faith. 15, third grade boys class. 16, become junior church pastor. Uh, 17, became the youth leader. Every weekend using those days, my brother and I would canvas down on Cutting and South Richmond. We had a church on Chancellor. Then revivals every night. You played, I played my instrument. It was always in the band. Then I started preaching at 16. 22, I was the dean of a college. 27, I started this church. 55 years, I've never known what it was to be passive in the church. Because at 1959, I told God, you got my body. Do whatever you want. 
I don't care if it's juniors. I don't care if it's toilets. I don't care if it's ushering. I don't care if it's handing out tracts. You got me. Howie Hendricks told me one time, you know what your problem is, Howard? I said, what's that? He said, you like it all. He said, you've got to quit doing so many different things. What has God gifted you to do? I said, well, that is in doubt in many people's minds. We don't know. He said, what do you want to do? Preach, teach, and train men. He said, do it. Let others help you set up the chairs. Few want to do what you've been gifted to do. Build your life around your gift. Build your life around your gift. I don't know what you've been gifted to do. Are we getting the benefit of it? Or have you folded shop and say, unavailable, unavailable. And by the way, I don't like the music. Shut up. You're unavailable. (laughs) Shut up. We don't want to hear your opinion because you won't help us solve anything. How did you get on the ark? I guess they had bugs. If you're not available, you lost your right to say anything. If you're not a giver, you lost your right to say anything about this church. You haven't earned the right. Be quiet. You're dishonor to the cross. You're telling me he paid for you, but he can't have you. I woke up a few mornings ago, and the first thing I woke up with was the word ransom anti-lutron on my mind. And I said, I am ransom. Think of it. No one's ever paid a ransom for me. When you grew up where we did in the project, nobody ever, no one ever kidnaps project kids because no one can pay the ransom. (laughs) The mother sends a note, enjoy. (laughs) He likes cereal. (laughs) Nobody coming after you. I don't have any money. When I lived on South 29th and Richmond, we didn't lock the doors. There's nothing worth stealing. You guys don't know what we're talking about. I'm telling the truth. But then I woke up. God has ransomed me. He came to give his life a ransom for many, and I'm one of the many. I've been bought. And so he says in 1 Corinthians, Since I bought you, glorify God with your body. Quit sleeping with the wrong people. Quit going to the idol's temple. Quit doing, why? I am a purchase item, friend. You are too. What's God doing in your body? Where is Christ being seen as magnificent? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Galatians 2.20, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to ransom me. Who's got your life? You deserve to be miserable. You deserve to be, I can't find my direction. I can't. No, you won't. God will block your path because you are fraudulent. You are not giving God what he purchased you. You. He didn't send you to this church to be a critic. 
He sent you here to be available to do the work of God that he's put a gift in you to do. We want your gift. We don't want your criticism. Oh, you can critique the church. We ought to do this. We need that. I do that all the time. But I'm thinking of you when I'm critiquing. You ought to help us. Are you available in the body or are you a wart? You're just an attachment. But God's not doing anything through you. There's no vital contribution. I want to ask you. I want to do something I don't know how to ever do. I'm going to ask you, how many here have ever presented their body to God formally and you just had a prayer meeting or you were in a meeting? See, I grew up, we called people to do this. In our kinds of churches, say, just give me a sermon. Don't call me to decision. And you're going on and on. What do you get? People say, well, you have three good points. I don't care if you like the points. I care if God changes your life. We need to quit adoring preachers and seeing if they got three points, a poem and a broken pulpit. We need to be changed. That's what we need. Stop being conformed to this world, being owned by the one o'clock game, owned by this and that. Wait, wait. You'll be available for that, honey, because you love it. Do you love the one that bought you? I kind of think of Gomer. I wonder if Gomer went home and started cooking again. Down here on an auction block, the whore in town. And when they ask her, where did you come from? She said, well, I used to live with the preacher. I had two children for him. And now I'm just selling my body because I fell out of love with him. Something happened. And one day God tells the preacher, he's feeding the kids by himself. It's hard to take care of kids when you're just a man. You've got to have a woman. Because men do a lousy job usually. And God says, you need to go downtown. Take the kids with you. They go for a walk. They get down there. And all of a sudden you hear, and what am I giving for this prostitute? What price can I get? And Hosea, I would think, naturally say, well, she's getting just what she deserves. She wouldn't be faithful to me. So she deserves to be sold to some guy that will use her, use her up, make her haggard, and probably beat her in the sex act. I loved her, but she didn't love me. God says something that I can't hardly believe in the Old Testament. He said, you're going to buy her. According to the law, you've got permission to stone her. An adulteress was stoned under the law. What did you say, Lord? Gather rocks and stone her? No, I said, open your money bag and bid, outbid everybody. And all of a sudden, he said, I'm buying her. And all the men in town said, you fool, you fool, you fool. This is a cheating woman. Can you imagine what her wardrobe, I don't know if she lost teeth, I don't know how long she was out there, but can you imagine walking home with your prostitute wife and the two children and then getting home and saying, her saying, well, I'm not doing the dishes. 
I'm not taking care of the children. I imagine you have the most grateful woman in town. Somebody that wants to beat me up and use me and throw me out like trash didn't buy me. But the man that was good to me to start with. And then he said, go tell Israel, you're the prostitute. I redeemed you out of Israel. I bought you. A lamb got you out. I made you my own. I brought you to me to be my wife. And you'd rather sleep with other gods. You'd rather sleep with Egypt. You'd rather sleep with Assyria. You'd rather sleep with Babylon. And I, your God, is yearning for you to come in my arms. I bought you that I could love you. I bought you that you might be close to me. And yet, you've given all your favors and all your love to idols. Why don't you come back? And when I look at the church, James 4 said, Ye adulteresses, said to a church, synagogue, why will you quit making the spirit jealous? Because you give your body, your time, and your money to that which did not purchase you. Why don't you come to Jesus? Why don't you lay your life at his feet? You're the only one that thought enough to pay a price to ransom me. Nobody else bought me. Nobody else bought me. 